I'm going to continue with my series on evangelism, and I felt that the section that I'm studying today and presenting in this sermon uh, is part four in the series, and it is what are the practical effects of salvation? What are the practical effects of salvation? Now, this becomes important because, first of all, when you go and talk to people about Jesus, they need to know what's going to happen to their lives. So what's going to happen when you accept the Lord? But also, it gives you a chance effectively to have a litmus test on where you are. You know, we don't believe that you lose your salvation. We believe in eternal security, meaning once you are in the hand of God, no power, no principality can take you out of God's hand. But the question is, are you saved? Are you truly saved? And we're going to talk about that today. Uh, and so we're under an obligation, you see, to present the truth uh, to the world. We're, we have a serious obligation to spread the gospel. Jesus commanded it, but at the same time to spread the truth, dispense the truth. And that means dispense the truth as it relates to the word of God, but also to have a life that shows the truth of God in every way because God will hold you and us responsible. And so the most important fa fact that you can give to people as you are presenting the gospel is this, that you can keep the entire law but fail in one point, and when you fail in that one point, you fail in everything. That is why you need a savior, because no law is going to save you. There is no righteousness in the law. God gave us the law to show us how far from the truth we were. And so this is what we need to know. And so you need to tell people uh, that man is inherently bad. And I know I hear people say, well, I believe man is inherently good. Well, that's because you're using your own grading system, <laughs> right? But if you all of a sudden take God's scorecard out, and that's a scorecard that says a 99 is an F, all of a sudden, you're not doing so well. And so that's what we have to be mindful of, and that's what we have to teach people as we bring them to the Lord. Uh, effectively, that you are a sinner, that you are outside of the will of God unless you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Look, Jesus made this crystal clear. No man cometh to the Father except through me. Period. End of sentence. No man cometh to the Father except through me. And so in this sermon today, we're going to focus on the effects of salvation, how you can see those effects, uh, and explain as a part of this the doctrine of justification uh, in the post-conversion experience. And so it's interesting when you go back and study the Bible, you'll see how God spoke about this even in the Old Testament. For example, in Jeremiah 31 Verse 34, God says, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. How about that? I will remember that sin no more. Then in, in Micah 7, verse 18, he says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl 
all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You see, that's the, the measure of God when he forgives. He forgives and he forgets. Unlike us, who will say, we forgive, but I remember. I remember what you did. And that's not real forgiveness. That's not how you would want your sins forgiven by the God of the universe. And so you need to understand that this is only a part of justification. Uh, because justification is more than just forgiveness. You see, God takes something and puts it in place of your heart. He implants in your heart the Holy Spirit, and from that moment forth when you are saved, forevermore God sees you as righteous. Now, make no mistake about it, you're not righteous. But here's the thing, God sees you through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. You understand? That's what he gives you. It's not just forgiveness. It's the filtering lens of Christ that goes along with you so that from that forth evermore God sees you as rightless. He, he, uh, he effectively declares, declares you guiltless. You are fully acquitted as if you were in a court of law, as if, as if nothing happened whatsoever. Jesus was the greatest defense attorney in the history of the world. Not only does he free you and forgive you, but he takes your guilt with him. It is complete acquittal in every way. Uh, and, and understanding this, see what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And be found in him, Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I mean, this is a message that the lost have to hear, how your life has changed forever. And here's the thing, folks, and you know it, and you have to teach it, and that is that this takes place instantaneously. The minute that the sinner says, Lord, forgive me, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, I will follow you forever instantaneously. God reaches across eternity and forgives and implants the Holy Spirit in the heart of the, law, of the lost. This is what God has done for us through justification. Now, having experienced justification immediately, we must next focus on sanctification because this is what we have to tell the lost. That is over time, you see, as we walk with Jesus, as we pick up the cross, we will become more like Christ. This I refer to as the day two experience. The day one experience is justification through salvation. The day two experience is walking with him every day of your life as you take the cross and becoming more like him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Living a sanctified life effectively for what God has demanded of us and how he has worked out for us in our hearts. That's the day two experience. Uh, and so sanctification, you see, is part of the whole new birth. This is what it means to be born again, you see. It's gotten a, a bad a remnant in the, in the common culture, but this is what born, born again means. And here's the quest, question I have for you, and this is the centerpiece of the message today. Can you really be 
a genuine child of God, yet continue to live in a sinful lifestyle. That's it, church. That's the message for today, for New Year's Day. Can you continue to be a child of God and continue to live in a reckless, sinful lifestyle? I'll give you the answer. No, no, it's impossible. You cannot be saved if you continue to live in a reckless, sinful lifestyle. Now, we sometimes think that God's leniency, you understand, is his approval. We think because we've committed some sin and no lightning bolt has come out of heaven and we haven't experienced the wrath of God that we've escaped. You understand. God has given you a get-out-of-jail card for free. Well, if you think like that, let me draw your attention, if you would, uh, to David, one of the greatest men in the Bible. David, who would be in the very lineage of Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, where the Na- this prophet Nathan confronts him. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And you understand this. It was a horrendous sin. He, he had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Bathsheba gets pregnant in order to hide this. He calls her husband home from the wars, hoping that he will sleep with her so that he can cover up the pregnancy. But this man, who's a righteous man, refuses to go into the house. He stays outside because he feels that his fighting men are outside. He can't go in. Uh, And so David, in exasperation, contacts the generals and tells them when 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 he comes back, uh, to serve, put him in the front lines. Uh, put him in the, in the front lines. And when he's in the front lines, when the fighting gets absolutely horrible, pull back so that he can die. And in fact, that's what happens. And so David effectively is guilty of murder. Uh, and so Nathan replies here, and this is important to understand this. The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. And that baby did die. David begged God not to do it, but that baby died because, you see, that's the justice of God. You demonstrated utter contempt for what God did for you, David. God saved you and brought you out of a sinful life. He saved you and made you the king of Israel. And you have dragged God in the mud. Well, we have to understand that God will not be mocked. And so the teaching of justification, and this is important, the teaching of justification is not a license to sin. You understand? It's not a license to sin, but an incentive to obey. We recognize what God has given us, and we are dedicated to obeying him. That's really what justification is about. Here is the ultimate rule on this. It's found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And so through the power of, of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, we have every way to continue a new life. We are empowered not to fall to sin. It's the very power that God has given us. And so through Jesus, we are no longer under the power of sin. And we live a new life. 
Now, the power that we've been given is not a power of imitation, but it's a power of impartation. Effectively, God has put the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit within you. We don't fight the devil in our own strength anymore. We fight it within the power of Christ and the finished cross. Now, Paul talked about this as well. Uh, And this is a warning to the saved. And in Ephesians 2, verse 1, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thought. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's where we were. That's what we did. We gratified the flesh and the lust and the cravings until God saved us and put the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Now, we need to make this crystal clear to new believers. That is, you will still struggle with sin and temptation even as you walk with Christ. Let me repeat that. You will still struggle with sin and temptation even as you're saved and you walk with Christ. I had a lady once in one of my Bible studies when I said, trying to explain this point, and I said, well, I can say that there are many times that before I get out of bed in the morning, I've already sinned. Just laying there in bed and thinking about the day, and already in my mind, I've committed some sin. And she said to me, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Seriously, what's wrong with you? You're in bed? You're in bed and you're sinning? And I said, sister, you really don't understand theology. You don't understand what this is about. Look, yes, I'm saved. Yes, I love Christ Jesus. But I'm still carrying around the old flesh. You understand? And so here's the point you need to tell people. Yes, you're saved. And yes, you will still save from time to time. But here's the thing. You don't wallow in the sin. You don't lead a life of sin. If from time to time you accidentally fall and trip, you ask God to forgive you, but you don't continue in that reckless, disobedient lifestyle. Because if you do, then you can't possibly be saved. Uh, And so the Bible is clear in pointing that out as well. In 1 John Chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so this is in contrast to an intentional, willful, reckless, continuing lifestyle of sin. God has called you out of that. He has taken you away from that. He's imparted the Holy Spirit. He's given you the power now to control those lusts, Control those evil urges in every way. And so if there has been no change in the lifestyle of the converted, then frankly, they're not saved. It's very simple. This is the litmus test. This is the litmus test for yourself as you go out and you think about where you are. There has to be a complete change in the way you live your life. Uh, And so here's the question. The question must be raised, has the person ever truly heard the real gospel? You know, there's so many places where you go, you don't really hear the gospel preached like this. 
uh, as we try to give the full complement of what the gospel is about. All about justification, what God has done, and then sanctification, and what it means to know that yes, you will sin from time to time, but you will not linger in that sin. The point of this exercise and this sermon today is to demonstrate that we are no longer under the jurisdiction of sin. You are no longer under the jurisdiction of Satan. The previous rights that Satan had over you and that evil had over you, dominating you and commanding you and focusing your mind are now canceled forever. Uh, we no longer have to sin. We're the lost still have to sin. Yet our inherent human weaknesses, our flesh will still give rise when we don't give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit. We'll still give rise from time to time and we will fall and we will sin. Someone as great as Paul, who wrote more than half of the New Testament, understood this inherent problem in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, where he said, and I love this man, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Can you imagine that this great apostle would write this? This is after carrying the word of God uh, all over Europe. This is a man who's just spent more than 20 years uh, writing these letters that would stand the test of time for centuries. And yet he says, I, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. I know what I should do, yet I find that I cannot do it. Because that's the power of flesh. That's the power of sin. But he also writes, there's a crucial antidote to this problem. And he, and he speaks about it in Romans chapter 6. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled might, by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That means that the old man is no longer in business. The flesh that controlled you in every way is out of business. God has taken it away from you. He has given you the power to control it. Sin has no control, no power to control a believer unless the believer chooses to obey its lusts. It's that simple. If you give in to the lusts, if you don't give in to the power of the Holy Spirit, this is where you find that you will fall. As Christians now, we have a critical responsibility uh, that's outlined also in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And here it is. This is the answer. This is the antidote. This is what sanctification is all about. Quote, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed. Don't worry about the world. Don't be, try to be part of the world, but instead transform your mind, the renewing of your mind, because it is by that transformation that you will experience daily sanctification. This is a critical point to understand and to emphasize to those that you speak about Jesus, to every believer. Uh, the Bible teaches us that our minds must be brought under control of the Holy Spirit. All right? You have to focus on this. You have to work on this. So how does that happen? How do you put your mind under control of the Holy Spirit? You pray. You go to Bible studies. You go to church and worship. All right? You do all of this. 
uh, and you associate with other believers because as you do this, you are putting your mind under the control of the Holy Spirit. And yes, you read the Bible and you read it every single day. The whole secret, you see, of the Christian life uh, is understanding the doctrine of sanctification and it's found in these words. Be therefore transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we need to focus, you see, uh, on two words in this scripture, conformed and transformed. The apostle warns us, do not be, do not be conformed to the world. Don't try to be part of the world. Don't try to fit in. Don't try to be like your neighbors or your friends at the country club. Don't look at them as an example of how you, you should live. Instead, you, you transform your mind to the God piece, to what God says is critical. And that's found in the Bible where God speaks to you, and he speaks to you daily. Uh, and you see it when you come to church, and you see it when you study the Bible, and you see it when you affiliate with Christians. This is how you transform your mind. Uh, and so those of us who are living in the world and are conforming to the world, we are masquerading as fakes. You understand? You're masquerading as a fake. Are you really a Christian? Or instead, are you demonstrating to a world, really, this is, this is what Jesus wants. I am transforming my mind through the, through the faith that I have in Christ Jesus. And so we don't want to give off that contradiction, especially as you go and spread the gospel. I know you want to spread the gospel, but you've got to do it truthfully in every possible way, and you don't want to be a hypocrite. We should be letting the world know that we will not conform to its theology or its ideology. I don't care if I don't have any friends in the world. And what I find anymore, and I'm sure many of you find the same thing, that pretty much all of my friends are in this room. Have you found that? Because that's the truth, you see. Because now these are the people that you have an affinity with. These are the fellow believers. And what you find is that while you may like people and respect other people, would you really call them a deep and abiding friend if they're not in the Lord? I would say probably not. And so all of that is to remind us to be transformed. The emphasis for us, you see, for the rest of this year especially, where God has placed us, is to reach out to the lost, uh, not to focus on individual sins and temptations. So let me make that very clear. When you go out to the world and go out to the, uh, to the lost, don't sit there and start giving them a list of things to don't do. Don't go to dances. Don't go to bars. Don't, don't go to certain restaurants. Don't read certain books. Look, I grew up in that culture. You understand? They were, they were good people. They were godly people. They were misguided. Effectively, at the end of the day, here was my theology. If is it fun, then it must be a sin. You understand? You can't do that if you want to spread the word of God because God never said it. God didn't focus on individual character. God focused on overall character and behavior. He didn't look at individual sins he looked rather at the whole of the man, the transformation of the life. And that's what, what Jesus demands. Jesus effectively demands not a reformation of behavior, but a transformation of character. That's what we want to preach. 
Let my character be more like Christ in every way. Look, the moral systems of the world are concerned about behavior and a change of behavior. But Christianity goes much further than that, much further. Behavior to a Christian is an end product and is not our prior concern. Behavior is the result of salvation and sanctification. Uh, and it is important to note that you are perfectly useless as a Christian is if all you do, all you do is conform yourself to the world around you. Look, this is what transformation is all about. It is a sea change in the way we live. If we long to give our bodies as living sacrifices, and that's what Christ says we are, so that our whole lives become an individual act of worship. Here I am, Jesus. Take me and use me and display the worthiness of Christianity to a lost world, and we must pursue the renewal of our minds. It's that simple. Every day, renew your mind in a positive way. When we are saved, God instantaneously implants the Holy Spirit within us. We are only renewed and transformed through the Holy Spirit as it embeds itself in our minds. It's a responsibility that we have to live like that. It enables us to see the glory of God and to, to display the glory of his righteousness and what he has done with us to a lost world. He leads us to hear the gospel, to read the Bible, and to meditate on Christ. And as we do that, we continue to grow as we submit to him in humility. Look, here's what you need to emphasize to new believers. This is what I mean by the transformation of my mind and the controlling of my mind. There's no better passage on this than Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Amen, church? That's the goal. That's your job. That's your responsibility. That's how you live your life every day of your life. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit. Yes, you've been justified. Yes, he's empowered you. Now walk with him every day. Carry the cross with him and think about those things. And you know, as, as I reflected on the sermon, I went back and looked at John chapter 17, uh, one of that great passage where Jesus says, uh, I am praying, I am praying for my believers. Can you imagine? Christ sits at the right hand of God praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. And so as he prays for you, let us be responsible to him in every way as we lift him up to a world that is lost. Amen, church? Amen. Amen.